And let's, let's move for, to our message today. If you haven't turned in your Bibles already, go ahead and turn to the book of Nehemiah, because this is our second week in the book of Nehemiah in this series entitled Rebuilding. If you're not here last week, we set the stage for this wonderful Old Testament text. But for this morning, let me remind everyone that the context of Nehemiah is that the Jewish nation had suffered punishment at the hand of God because of their unfaithfulness. God had sent them into exile into a foreign land with both the temple of God and the city of Jerusalem being destroyed. I mentioned that this destruction was really symbolic of the people's spiritual condition and their broken relationship with God. The people needed their lives to be rebuilt. However, we also took notice that God never punishes without a purpose, which that purpose is always calling his people back to him. Therefore, as we read in Nehemiah, God had actually already began the process of restoring his people as he moved in the heart of a pagan king named Cyrus, who allowed the Jews to move back to Jerusalem and rebuild the temple. We noted that the temple had been rebuilt, but the city of Jerusalem and the people were still in shambles. Nehemiah, whom this book is named after, was currently serving as the cupbearer for the Persian king, King Artaxerxes. And he gets word from his brother and some other Jews about the conditions being so bad in Jerusalem. Last week we saw when he got word, he wept and he mourned about the condition of the city and the people. His heart was moved or broken over the brokenness of the people. In light of that, I ask everyone here a question. I ask you the question, what has moved your heart or what have you become broken over? We ask that question because as we stated last week, action is normally preceded by a heart that is moved or a heart that is broken. And God surely wants us to move to help the brokenness that is all around us. Now, with that background, let me ask this question. After a heart is moved or after a heart is broken, what comes next? You see, we might want to quickly say, well, if I see something that moves my heart, then I should act, right? I got to do something. I, I got to be busy about that, all right? And, and I'm going to say partly that's true, but I, I'm convinced when we see a need, all right, there's something that we must do before we act. Because in fact, there is a way I think that we miss a very crucial, important step. Again, I know that there are times when we see a need, we need to quickly move into action, but there are times when the answer to the problem is not so easy. In fact, think about this. Nehemiah, hearing that the walls of Jerusalem were still in shambles and hearing that the people were in trouble and great distress, you tell me, what could he do quickly to solve that problem? Could he rebuild those walls quickly? Absolutely not. Nothing. There was not a quick fix to the problem. And see, many times in our lives, we see a need, and here's what we know. There's no easy answer. So what do we do? We should do what Nehemiah did, which is the step that we often miss. We should pray. If you remember verse 4 of Nehemiah, chapter 1, it said this. As soon as he heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days, and I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. Now, when it states that Nehemiah fasted and prayed, you need to know that his fasting and praying went on for most likely four months. And we know that because verse 1 told us 
It was the month of Chislev, which would be our months of November and December. And when we get to the next thing that we're going to see next week, starting in chapter 2, it is the month of Nisan, which is our months of March and April. And so what we have to understand is happening for four months, Nehemiah continues to fast and to pray, saying, God, I see the problem, and we, we, i got to find a fix to this, and I want to be a part of this, so God, what do I do? And so Nehemiah is fasting and praying before the God of the universe, seeking out his guidance, his help, and his strength. Now, here's what I want us to do today. I want us to look at what Nehemiah prayed in chapter 1 and see what a rebuilding prayer looks like. We should want to know this so that we know the kind of prayers that we should be praying as we live in a world of brokenness where rebuilding is necessary. You know, for many people, when you think about prayer, prayer really falls for many of us into one or two categories, all right? You know, I'm not going to make you raise your hand and say which category you're in, but it often falls in one or two categories, routine or ignored, all right? If we're all honest, at times our prayers become routine, do they not? Every Sunday after church, typically at least a portion of my family gathers at our house where we have lunch, and so we fix a quick meal, and then we get ready to eat. Now, when, we get, when the food gets done, I'll often ask everybody, I said, y'all ready to eat? Now, if Juliet, my granddaughter, is there, she'll say, no, pappy, we got to pray, right? Because she knows before you eat, you, that's our Routine, right? Let me tell you, it can become routine because not, you know what? Not, you also want to know what happens every Sunday when we bow our head to pray. As soon as we bow our head to pray, our dog goes to his dog bow and starts eating. <laughs> he, he's not got the concept yet. You wait till the prayer is done to eat, but he's associated, all right, prayer with food, all right? And so the routine is prayer's happening. We got, I got to go eat, right? So for us, let's be honest, prayer before our meals is a good routine, Amen. All right, it is, right? I'm not saying anything about that, but prayers can often become routine. Now, on the other hand, some people simply ignore prayer altogether, failing to turn to the one who can help rebuild. Maybe this happens because we prayed in the past and it seemed like God didn't answer. Or you prayed and things got worse. For many of us, we've prayed and it seemed fruitless, so we simply stopped praying. Now, I don't want you to raise your hand if that's been you, but I can assure you if that is you, you're not alone. I'll have to confess in my own life there have been times when it's been difficult for me to pray or maybe even when I stop praying thinking that God isn't listening. I can assure you, though, that stopping prayer is not the right response. And Nehemiah understood the importance of prayer, and we're going to learn much by looking at his prayer here in chapter 1. And so let's look how he started in verse 5, all right? And it said, I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. See, as Nehemiah starts, he shows us that a rebuilding prayer focuses on the sovereignty of God. He starts with the words, O Lord God of heaven. You see, those words might be simple to you, but it is recognizing that God is the God of heaven. Nehemiah is recognizing God's sovereignty over all things. It is also Nehemiah taking his eyes off of his circumstances that are around him and instead looking up to God who has the ability to change those circumstances. Unfortunately, for many people, all they ever do is focus on their circumstances. And quite frankly, our circumstances at times can be overwhelming, right? They are clearly many times in our lives when we look at our circumstances and recognize that we cannot change them. But in truth, let's catch this. We are never really in control. 
All right. My guess is that we all had times in our life when we were going through life like normal, when something happened that changed everything in a moment. Whether it was that unexpected diagnosis from the doctor, the wreck that caused traumatic injuries, the pink slip at work for no apparent reason, the conversation with a spouse that completely changed your relationship, the rebellion of a child who up to that point had not caused you any problems, the sudden downturn in the economy that changed your financial outlook, on and on, we've all had some kind of experience that reminded us that life is out of our control, right? And if we're not careful, this reality can truly overwhelm us or even paralyze us unless we look to the God of heaven and place our trust in him. Think about what the psalmist said in Psalm 121.1. He says, I lift up my eyes to the hill. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. You see, the psalmist recognized that he needed help and he recognized where his help could be found. And since God made heaven and earth, you can be sure that he can handle anything that's going on in your life, anything. He can help you with any brokenness that might be around you. You see, as Nehemiah was focused on the sovereignty of God, he declared that God was the great and awesome God. Now, what Jeremiah is doing here, he's using a literary device, all right? So so all you English people, you'll like this, right? He's using a literary device called a hendiatus. Have y'all heard of that? Any English people have heard of that? No? Well, hendiatus is a literary device that involves the use of two words connected by a conjunction that expresses a single idea or concept. This is a figure of speech which originated in ancient Greek literature. It's used to add emphasis and clarity to the phrase or the sentence. Nehemiah wanted it clear how high he believed God to be. And by saying that he is great, Nehemiah was recognizing that God is of importance and high status, that he is above all things. And then the word awesome here is a Greek word meaning to fear. It points us to the reality that we should stand. Here we ready. We should stand in all of God. All right. In all of him. When these two words come together, it points us to the transcendence of God. See, let's never forget something. That God is above the natural and he is truly all-powerful and he's the all-powerful God of creation. We should never lose our all of God, right? See, I I wonder in our day if we have not forgotten how great God is. Have we? He is the great and he is the awesome God. Nehemiah hadn't forgotten that. And in the beginning of the prayer, he pointed us to God's greatness. However, Nehemiah points us to another aspect of God's sovereignty. That even though God is above everything, Nehemiah declares that he is a God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Those words remind us that even though God is transcendent, God is also imminent, which means this, God is active in our circumstances. Are you aware of this? That there are some people who have looked at God and saying that God is a God who is hands off of humanity. Some people, specifically those who are in the deist category, believe this, that God, yes, God created this earth, but now he just stands back and he watches everything play out, that God doesn't intervene in the affairs of man. They believe he doesn't take any interest in the affairs of mankind. However, folks, I'm here to tell you that is not the case with God. God is a covenant-making God who works in the life of his people and displays his steadfast love. Let's never forget that God's involvement with his creation is most clearly seen in Jesus Christ. The Bible explained to us that what? That that Jesus was God come in flesh. 
God come to be with us. God coming to act and work in the life of his people to save them from sin. It was a promise that he'd made many years earlier and a promise that he kept. And just like he has promised that, he's promised that one day Jesus is coming again. And guess what's going to happen one day? Jesus is going to come again and he's going to make everything right. I look forward to that day. Hallelujah. All right. I, I do. But see, as we wait for his coming, God is still working in our lives today. He has sent the Holy Spirit. He is at work in us. And Nehemiah knew that. And in his sovereignty, he knew that God was working in the lives of his people, even though at the moment things looked pretty bleak. You see, Nehemiah's rebuilding prayer started with focusing on God's sovereignty because that is what not only gave him hope, but it also helped guide the rest of his prayer. Which takes us to the next part of a rebuilding prayer, which is a rebuilding prayer confesses sin. Here's how Nehemiah continues in verse 6. And let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to, the, to hear the prayer of your servant, that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which have sinned against you. Even I and my father's house have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, and the rules that you commanded your servant Moses. Now look at this. Before Nehemiah brought any concern before God, he first dealt with the sin in his life. This is a reminder to us that before we should ask God to deal with the brokenness around us, we should first let God deal with the mess that is within us. Right? or if you want to put it, the brokenness in our life, right? We, we got to deal with that first. Ask yourself this question, all right? How can you help others heal if you haven't first found healing? All right, you can't, it's difficult. Let's remember, however, that as Christians, God has given us a great promise in 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteous. That is a promise that should give any of us hope. It's interesting, though, to look at Nehemiah's prayer of confession because, did you notice, it starts with a prayer for the nation as a whole. He is confessing the sins of the nation that even happened generations before him. Nehemiah wasn't even alive when the nation rebelled and was sent into exile, but Nehemiah still confessed the nation's sin and even included himself in it as he used the pronoun we. After that, he made it very personal, as he said, even I and my father's house have sinned. Now, what this did for Nehemiah is it recognized his personal responsibility for the condition of the people. He could have tried to separate himself from the suffering of the people and what had happened, which would have, in essence, absolved him from responsibility. But by including himself in confessing sin, he made it clear that he understood that he had a part to play in making things right. Now, I want to pause here for a moment. I want to make a confession, all right? Can I, can I make a confession? Is that Okay. All right, this is not a private, a public confession. In the past, I've had this attitude that I'm not responsible for what people have done before me. Whatever my ancestors have done, it's not on me. All right, there's a sense that that sentiment is true, okay? There's a way that I am not responsible for that. However, according to what Nehemiah prayed, I cannot fully take that attitude. Are y'all with me this morning? Y'all follow along? Okay. I must understand that what has happened in the past does affect the present. And because of that, there is a sense that I must take personal responsibility for past sins. At least this, I must recognize those sins, identify the consequences that still exist, and work to be a part of the solution, namely working to make God's name known and working to glorify God with my life by fulfilling his will. Does that make sense? 
If nothing else, each of us can confess times when we didn't fulfill his will, right? Right? When we look at the sins of the Jewish nation, Nehemiah declared that the people had acted very corruptly. He recognized that their greatest sin was their failure to keep God's commandments, statutes, and rules. When God delivered the Israelites from Egypt, he promised this. He promised that he would be their God, and they had promised to be his people. God had given them laws for their good and protection that they had not kept. They had been unfaithful to God and suffered as a nation because of it. Nehemiah was acknowledging that and recognized his part in the unfaithfulness. He wasn't just blaming the current situation of the Jews on the previous generations. He recognized that even he had a role. That's a good practice for all of us. Because again, there can be this tendency in our lives to pass the blame to others and not recognize our part of the problem. Is that not true? Shake your head this way. We always want to pass the blame. We want to pass the buck. And so what Nehemiah is saying, look, I'm not going to do that, all right? He acknowledged his failure, and he was seeking healing and direction from God. And we must all make a practice of confession. Because if we're going to rebuild for God and help others overcome their brokenness, we have to let God heal us from our brokenness. If we're honest, some of us will say, well, but it's got confession can be hard and depressing. However, with God, it doesn't have to be. I've already mentioned the great promise we have as Christians, but here is where we need to see another aspect of a rebuilding prayer. It is this, that it trusts in the promises of God. Nehemiah does something else in his prayer that is good practice for us, okay? He prays Scripture. As he's praying here, he is praying Scripture. In this case, he prays recounting the promises that God had made. Look at the next part of this prayer, verse 8. He says, remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses saying, right? Then he quotes scripture. If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there I will gather them and bring them to the place that I have chosen to make my name dwell there. You see, God had promised that if the people were unfaithful, that they would be scattered. But he also promised that if they returned to God, that he would restore them. That provided hope. If you want to go back, go back to Deuteronomy chapter 30. And you can see where Nehemiah gets these words for this part of the prayer. Nehemiah knows God's word and he's praying God's word. And I don't want you to get me wrong, though. Don't get the wrong impression of what Nehemiah is doing here. When Nehemiah goes to God and says, God, remember the words you commanded all right, through your servant Moses. This wasn't Nehemiah going to God and trying to push God around. Okay? It wasn't Nehemiah going to God and saying, God, remember what you said? You got to do what you said. That's not what Nehemiah is doing. Because let me ask you, can any of us make God do anything? And let me ask you, do you think God had forgotten what he had said? No. God knows all things. Here's what's really going on here. Ready? It's Nehemiah reminding himself of what God had said. Now, why is that helpful? All right? It's helpful for Nehemiah to remember what God said. Why is it important? Because, as I alluded to, it gives him hope. If we go back to Deuteronomy 30, I want to look at a few more of the words that's recorded in that passage where Nehemiah was finding his hope. I'm not going to read all of them, but let me read just a few more verses found in that chapter. Keep in mind, this section predicted the rebellion of the people. It told about the people that they would be sent into exile because of their disobedience, but then promised God's restoration should they repent and turn back to him. As part of that promise, God said this through Moses. Listen to these words, Deuteronomy 30, verses 9 and 10. The Lord your God 
will make you abundantly prosperous in all the work of your hand, in the fruit of your womb, and in the fruit of your cattle, and in the fruit of your ground. For the Lord will again, look at this, for the Lord will again take delight in prospering you as he took delight in your fathers. When you obey the voice of the Lord your God to keep his commandments and his statutes that are written in this book of the law, when you turn to the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. In other words, God made a great promise, all right? He says, listen, yes, you're going into exile, but here's my promise. I will turn to you again, and I will make you prosperous again. And Nehemiah was remembering that great promise of God. You see, no doubt, Nehemiah confessed sin, and he recognized the punishment that had come because of sin, but he also remembered God's promise of restoration, all right? So you tell me something. What was being accomplished as Nehemiah was praying? What was happening? Well, I'm sure several things, but one thing that I can think of is that Nehemiah was gaining peace and he was gaining confidence. You see, we know that Nehemiah's heart had been broken to the point that he wept and mourned for days. The situation was very bleak in Jerusalem, according to the reports. However, as he prayed and remembered what God had promised, I have no doubt that he gained hope. Think even about this. As Nehemiah prayed, all right, again, I ask you, was he forcing God to do what he wanted to do? No. What he was really doing was forcing himself to see the situation from God's perspective. And from God's perspective, God was at work already to complete the promise he had made years ago. And so Nehemiah's prayer was not so much about making God move and bringing God in line with Nehemiah's thoughts. It was about Nehemiah being moved by God and Nehemiah's thoughts and focus being brought in line with God's. See, Nehemiah, after this prayer, should have had great confidence because he knew that God had already promised to restore his people, that God had already promised to bring them back to him. The circumstances around Nehemiah, hear me, at this point as he gets done praying, the circumstances around Nehemiah had not changed. But what should have changed was Nehemiah's perspective of the circumstances. Now, as I think about what Nehemiah did here in prayer, he reminds me that we should all do the same thing. And I want you to catch this. I put it on the screen so you'd catch this, right? When we go to God in prayer, we should go to him in prayer with a great knowledge of his word so that we can pray in accordance to his will and find confidence and strength from his promises. All right, you, you catch what I'm saying? All right, I, I should know God's word so that when I pray, I can even pray his word, knowing his promises, I can take hold of those promises and I have great confidence as I pray because I know what God promised I, so I can take that to the bank. For example, when I pray, I can go being reminded of Romans 8, 28. And I can pray in that prayer. And we know that all things who, for all those who love the Lord God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his promises. See, when I pray, I can pray knowing that whatever's going on in my life, catch this, God's working it for good. Right? The situation might not be good, but I can be confident in the hands of God that he is working for good. I can go to God in prayer, praying the words of 2 Corinthians 4, 17 and 18, which say, for our present troubles are small and won't last very long, yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them all and will last forever. So we don't, fix, uh, uh, we don't look at the troubles we can see now, rather we fix our gaze on the things that cannot be seen, for the things we see now will soon be gone, but the things we cannot see will last forever. In other words, when I pray that, that I'm reminded in this from God's perspective of eternity, any trouble that we face 
is a small thing compared to eternity. Are you with me? But what God is waiting for me in heaven is a big thing, right? I, I can do that. I can go in that moment and, and know that, that God loves me and he has something great in store for me. I can go to God in prayer and pray the words of Philippians 4, 6, and 7, which says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And look at this. And the peace of God that passes all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You see, I can pray that prayer and find peace as I let God guard my heart and my mind so that, uh, that they are his and so that they are focused on God, which allows me to have peace even in the midst of things that give me anxiety. Let me say this. There are so many scriptures, all right, that we can pray. But if we pray scripture trusting God's promises that are recorded there, there's much comfort and strength to be found. You see, no doubt, Nehemiah finished his prayer. Uh, again, as I said, his current circumstance had not changed. But what has changed was his focus. And he was able to move forward with confidence as he remembered and trusted in the promise of, of God. He, at this point, listen, he didn't have clarity on how God was going to fully restore the people. But I'm fully convinced that Nehemiah knew that God was going to act, which really led to the last part of the prayer that rebuilds. For rebuilding prayer focuses on the sovereignty of God, confesses sin, trusts in the promises of God, and then makes a specific request in faith. Look at how Nehemiah ends his prayer. They are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name and give success to your servant today and granting mercy in the sight of this man. Now I was cupbearer to the king. Here's what happened as Nehemiah prayed. He came to God burdened about the broken condition of the city of Jerusalem and the brokenness of the people of God. As he focused on the sovereignty of God, as he confessed the sin of the people as his, in his personal part in that sin, as he remembered God's promises and trusted to them, he was moved to a place where he knew that God wanted him to act. And so he asked God for a specific request to help him as he responded to the need that God had placed upon his heart. And what was that request? For God to grant him mercy in the sight of this man. All right, this man being Artaxerxes, the king for whom he was the cupbearer. Now, maybe we need a reminder that it's okay to make our request known to God. Are you aware of that? In fact, let's never forget the words of Hebrews 4.16. I always go to prayer remembering these, all right, because this is God's promise. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. In that verse, God is telling us to come boldly to his throne of grace. We may need a reminder that when we are told this in Hebrews, it, it follows the declaration that we have a great high priest in Jesus who understands our weaknesses. Because Jesus came in flesh he understands the things that we face. He understands the temptation to be discouraged. He understands the temptation to worry. He understands the temptation to give in to the circumstances. However, Jesus didn't give in to any of those. He not only gave us an example to follow in overcoming temptation as he turned to the Father in prayer, but he also now intercedes for us with the Father and he's given us the Holy Spirit to be in us to help us now. We should remember that and know that there is much grace available every day from God. He tells us to come to him in prayer. Make our requests known. 
Nehemiah demonstrates that we should make our request known to God. He shows us that we can make even a specific request. But I believe we also need to see that he makes this request in, in light of where he started, the sovereignty of God. Here's what we're going to see, especially in next week. What is clear is that Nehemiah is going to use his position as cupbearer to the king, which gave him access to the king to make a request to go and to rebuild the wall around Jerusalem. That's not going to be a simple request. And here's the reason. It's because Artaxerxes had earlier made a decree to stop rebuilding of Jerusalem. When he learned of Israel's past as a strong nation and therefore recognized the Jews as a potential threat to his kingdom. Here's part of that decree as it reads in Ezra 4.21. Therefore make a decree that these men be made to cease and this city be not rebuilt until a decree is made by me. All right, that's King Artaxerxes made those decrees. Now, since Artaxerxes had been convinced that the rebuilding of Jerusalem was a threat to his kingdom, making a request to go rebuild that would not be an easy request by Nehemiah, would it? Would it? No. Because of his powerful position, Artaxerxes was in a position to prevent any work from taking place in Jerusalem. This is where we must make note of his prayer. Nehemiah referred to Artaxerxes as this man. This reference probably could be seen as a derogatory term, but at minimum, here's what Nehemiah is doing. He is recognizing that compared to God, Artaxerxes is just a man. That's right. Before the God of the universe, Artaxerxes is nothing. In fact, what we know is that even Artaxerxes is under the reign of God, even if he doesn't know it. Right? Because Proverbs 21.1 says, the king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. Nehemiah could go to God praying in faith, specifically seeking help in rebuilding because he understood that the sovereignty of God, and, and, and he'd come to, again, first to, to God with repentance. So his heart was clean. And because he trusted in the promises of God, he could come boldly to God and make this request. Nehemiah had no problem bringing his quest to God, believing that God not only could help him, but that he would as he was seeking to do the will of God. See, we all need to be like Nehemiah, making our specific requests in faith. See, here's what I know. I'm not sure what you're facing this morning. I'm not sure the specifics that needs to be rebuilt in your life. You may have a relationship that needs to be rebuilt. Maybe there's a ministry that needs to be rebuilt. Maybe your life in general needs to be rebuilt or life in another one that you know who needs to be rebuilt. Maybe you see the needs in our community that need to be rebuilt. What I can assure you is this, is there is not a person or a circumstance that is greater than God, right? Therefore, you might see an obstacle in the rebuilding process that God wants you to be a part of, but you need to view that in light of God of the universe because he is above it all. So don't be afraid to make your specific request known to God because I can assure you he is able to do far more than we ask or think. Okay? Far more than we are able to ask or think. I believe this morning that God is calling us to pray rebuilding prayers. I know this, we're not rebuilding a physical wall like Nehemiah, but let me remind you, as I stated last week, Nehemiah is not really building a wall, but he is rebuilding a people. It is lives that are truly being rebuilt. And last week when I asked what has moved your heart and what has broken your heart, immediately some of you had something that came to mind that you would love to see rebuilt. Or maybe we'd rather say brokenness around you that you recognize needs to be addressed, all right? 
In that case, I want to ask you this. Have you begun praying your rebuilding prayers? If you saw a need or a brokenness around you, have you been on your knees before God and saying, God, here's a need that I see. My heart is broken. I know it needs to be met. I know rebuilding needs to happen. Have you went to God today and began to pray and say, God, show me how to rebuild this. Or maybe you know, and you say, God, give me the strength, God. And here's the obstacle I see. God, would you move it? Have you been praying those prayers? See, here's what I know. God would love nothing more today than an altar full of his people praying, rebuilding prayers. People praying first, that focusing on God's sovereignty, recognize his greatness and power, while also recognizing his desire to work in people's lives. God would love an altar full of his people praying in confession, seeking healing from their sin. People recognizing that even if the suffering that is being experienced is because of their rebellion, that God is ready to restore. God would love an altar full of his people who know his word and who are praying, trusting in his promises, knowing that God keeps his promises. God would love nothing more than an altar full of his people who are praying specific prayers, asking to be used by him to rebuild, knowing that God can remove any obstacle that might be in the way. God is ready to work, and he is really just waiting for his people to pray, to seek his face, and to be moved by what moves him. You see, as we close this morning and move to an invitation, what I really do is I invite you this morning to pray. All around us are needs. Would you agree? All around us are lives that need to be rebuilt, brokenness that needs to be healed. And God is ready to move and he is waiting for his people to join him in the rebuilding process. And so let's begin the rebuilding by going to our God in prayer. Can't we do that? God's people praying, Lord, I see the need. Lord, and you're sovereign. Forgive me for my part, God, but I know who you are. You're a rebuilding God, and we trust that promise. Now, God, he'll help you fill in the blank. He'll help you know the specific requests you need to pray. But are you ready to be on your face before God and say, God, I know we need to be rebuilt. God, move. Would you pray with me, Father, as we do bow into your presence today? I'm thankful that you are a rebuilding God. And a God that invites your people to be a part of that process. And Father, today, as we've looked at Nehemiah, we know again, ultimately, if rebuilding is going to happen, it begins as your people bow before you and seek your face. Recognizing, God, your sovereignty. Confessing our part of the problem, Lord. Trusting in your promises. And then asking for those specific requests that we need to be a part of your will. To be a part of your work. And so move in our midst this morning, Father, and I pray that your people would seek you and that we would be a people that truly rebuilds for your glory and for your praise. So again, Father, we give this to your mighty hands. We know, Father, indeed, you are above all things, but we're thankful, Father, that you're a God that walks with us this morning as well. And so we come to you in faithful prayer. During this invitation, I ask for you to speak into hearts in Jesus' name, amen.